How will God communicate to his people? Now, that's an interesting question today. A lot of people are communicating, but how does God do it? We'll find out. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And you are watching Bible Discovery TV as we discover the Bible again for the 32nd year. It's exciting to be here. Corey and Ryan are here to help us understand more. Corey? Well, the first few chapters of the book of Samuel all rotate around the city of Shiloh. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Ryan? In my segment today, I'm going to be looking at both the vow of a Nazarite and some well-known people in the Bible who actually lived by that code. One of them was Samuel. All right. All of this coming up in 10 minutes time or about 11 minutes, but the next half hour is important. What did you do, Jen? Today, I titled my segment, The Presence of God. All right, so that's very good. It's very interesting subjects. So take your Bible guide out, turn to the page, and we'll show you how to get one of these a little bit later. And let's listen to what God says to us. First Samuel 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, 
and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, up to verse 11. First Samuel 1, 2, 3, and 4. This is what we do when we read through the Bible again. It's our 32nd time of going through the wonderful Word of God. And the question is this. How is God's will communicated to God's people? Now, this remains a big mystery to many people. The answer to that question comes when we begin to understand who God's people are. And have they grown? Do they know what God is saying? If not, the will of God will seem alien and difficult to the common solution of their difficulty today. And they will not fulfill their purpose. Now that's exactly what happened in ancient Israel over 2,000 years ago. The tribes of Israel, they attempted to do the will of God their way. No other way he had instructed them. Now think about that. Focusing on ourselves and not on God is the first biggest misstep when communicating or praying with God. For many years, God communicated to Israel who he was and how he would speak through them, or to them rather, through the prophets. These were people humble enough to listen and not distort God's message and God's calling. One such prophet was Samuel, the 13th and final judge of Israel. He spoke as he heard God's word and communicated what the Lord wanted the people to do. However, not everyone listened to God. It's a very interesting display today of how we see things taking place. And if you can, take out your Bible guide. It looks like this. And if you turn to today's page, if you don't know how to get one or you don't have one, of course, I ask the question, why not? You should get one. Then all you have to do is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the page, and it takes you to a place where you can donate. Thank you for your donations. Very much appreciate them. But uh, it also takes you to a page where you can download the files in your second. seconds, I tell you within seeing us as we talk about God's word today from 1 Samuel 3, 21 to uh, chapter 4, verse 11. This is very interesting. So let's begin to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, I pray today as we read this scripture that you would speak to us and teach us your way and show us your path. Thank you, Lord. We said in your name, amen and amen. Now, as we begin to look at this, it gets very, very interesting because uh, we begin to understand what God is doing. Here it is here. As we look at it, 1 Samuel chapter 3 says, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The word of God. That's how he revealed himself. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. And then the Philistines put, the, put themselves in battle array against Israel. 
And when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. They were defeated, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemy. Now, this is fascinating. Look at this. Israel failed to defeat the enemy because they didn't know God. They had not followed his ways. Beloved, we should know God's work and will in our life and move forward. Now, a lot of people say to me, well, that's what I'm trying to do, find the will of God. Well, yeah, but if we put ourselves first and we say, Lord, I need to know because I need to know because I need to, I need to, I need to. Hold on a minute. Lord, teach me your will so that I can follow you. That's a totally different prayer. And Israel was following themselves. They were selfish. We need help. They didn't pray. They went and they got the Ark of the Covenant. Here we go. 1 Samuel 4, verses 4 to 6. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophnia and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. What a display. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Now, this brings me to the second point. Look at it. The ark of God was brought into the camp of Israel as a good luck charm. A good luck charm, but that's not why God brought the ark in. God is not a good luck charm. Look at that. God is not a good luck charm. His favor comes from obedience to him. Obedience to the Lord. I know a lot of people who want good luck, good luck, good luck. But hold on a minute. If God is going to help us, it's because we are obeying him. That becomes important because we have to read his word to understand what he says. 7 to 11, so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you become servants of the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell all of Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers. And also the ark of God was captured and the two sons, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, died. The two sons of Eli. This is fascinating. You see, Israel was defeated. The ark of God was lost, and the two sons of Eli died. When we do not obey the Lord, beloved, we always fail. Always. When we do not put ourselves 
in back of God, but put ourselves in front of God, we always fail. Let me tell you something. We need to get ourselves aligned with the will of God. And the only way we can understand what the will of God is, is to say, okay, Lord, we're going to do it your way, and we're going to do it as you want. So, Father, help me to do it your way. This is what Israel teaches us. And this is the result of them doing it the wrong way. You see, they lose the Ark of the Covenant for the first time. Isn't that amazing? Now, there's another lesson when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. That's interesting, but we'll get to that. Think this through because we need to consider this today. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. So like I said at the beginning of the show, the first few chapters of the biblical book of 1 Samuel all happen uh, in and around the ancient city of Shiloh. We're told here in the scripture that the tent tabernacle has been set up at Shiloh. So that tent tabernacle that was commissioned by God through Moses, the Israelites built in the wilderness, it is now pitched at the city of Shiloh. And when you look carefully at the details that are contained in 1 Samuel 1 to 4, we see that structures were built up around the tent tabernacle to make it even more permanent. Though the Bible tells us that it actually wasn't permanent at all. Let's take a look at uh, what history and the Bible can tell us about ancient Shiloh. The ancient city of Shiloh played a major role in biblical history beginning in the days of Joshua. The book of Joshua tells us that the Israelites set up the tent tabernacle housing all of the holy artifacts created at Mount Sinai at Shiloh. Appropriately, the city of Shiloh was located in the land belonging to Ephraim, Joshua's tribe. Here, the Ark of the Covenant rested for a few hundred years, the religious festivals were held to God, and the priestly community ministered. Near the end of the time period of the Judges, during the days of the priest Eli, the Philistines who had begun to oppress Israel succeeded in taking the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark returns, the Israelites do not bring it back to Shiloh, but instead to Kiriath-Jerim. So what happened to Shiloh? Psalm 78 references how God's presence left Shiloh, and the prophet Jeremiah uses Shiloh in his warning to Jerusalem that it would become like Shiloh if its people did not repent. Could the Bible be referring to a destruction of the city? Archaeological excavations at the city of Shiloh have been ongoing since the early 1900s, and the findings continue to be extremely intriguing. It was occupied before the time of the conquest of the Promised Land and was taken and rebuilt by the Israelites. Debates are still ongoing with scholars trying to prove where exactly the tabernacle was located in the city. But they all believe not only that the tabernacle was housed there, but that as time went on, man-made structures were built up and around the tabernacle to make it a more permanent feature of the city. 
It is also agreed upon that around 1050 BC, Shiloh was violently destroyed and set on fire, not to be rebuilt again for another hundred years. This destruction dates to the time of the Philistine aggression and the taking of the Ark, archaeological evidence of what the Bible alludes to. Now, there are ongoing excavations at the city of Shiloh. Even to this day, there's a season coming up, an archaeological season coming up, uh, where archaeologists are going to continue working at Shiloh. And, you know, as early as just a few years ago, uh, there was a, um, a ceramic pomegranate figure that was found at Shiloh. And the pomegranate is, of course, really significant to Israelite religion. We see symbol the, the symbol of the pomegranate being used in the tent tabernacle and also to adorn the bottom of the robe of the high priest. Now, of course, those pomegranates were gold, uh, but there are other pomegranates known in ancient Israel's history. So we know that this was an important religious and spiritual symbol for them. So really interesting, all of the evidence that exists at ancient Shiloh for there being a sacred precinct uh, there, just as the Bible talks about. Very interesting. And, and as you begin to understand and read about this kind of thing, it's, it becomes important for us to remember that Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem where Jesus Christ was crucified and then he was outside the city when they destroyed his body. Well, they didn't destroy it, but they killed him. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's fascinating because as you look at that, where will he come back? He will come back in Jerusalem. Very interesting. Very good. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, today my segment is based on 1 Samuel 1.11, in which Hannah promises the Lord that if he will open her womb and give her a son, then, quote, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, that promise might see, sound a little strange to modern Western readers, but what Hannah was doing was committing her future son Samuel to a lifelong physical and spiritual separation to God, which for the Israelites was called a Nazarite vow. Now, this vow is first described back in Numbers chapter 6, where it gives the specific requirements of this separation. And that's what we want to focus on today, as well as pointing out some of the other well-known biblical figures who were also Nazarites. So let's go. The vow of the Nazarite, first described in Numbers chapter 6, was a pledge whereby one separated himself unto God. It was called the Nazarite vow because the word comes from the Hebrew nazir, meaning separation. It was an oath that both men and women could take, and the separation was twofold. It was a separation of oneself from the things of the world, and a separation of oneself unto God. As a part of this separation, a Nazarite was required to abstain from three things in particular. First, he was not to eat or drink any products made from grapes. In fact, even grape seeds or skins were forbidden. Second, a Nazarite was not to cut his hair or allow any razor to come upon his head for all the days of his separation. And lastly, he was not to go near a dead body. This included even the person's immediate family, such as father, mother, brother, or sister. If somebody happened to die suddenly in a Nazarite's presence, then he was deemed unclean and was required to bring three sacrificial offerings before the Lord for his cleansing. Furthermore, his previous days of separation were nullified and thus had to begin the vow anew. When the days of his oath were over, a Nazarite was required to bring three animal sacrifices, a burnt, sin, and peace offering, plus the customary grain and wine offerings. Finally, his head was shaved 
and his hair burned up upon the altar. While the duration of the Nazarite vow varied, according to Hebrew tradition, the minimum length of the oath was 30 days. And while most people took the vow voluntarily for a fixed period of time, such as Paul the Apostle, there were a few who were made lifelong Nazarites from birth, such as Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. It is notable that John the Baptist, a Nazarite, was called to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, a Nazarene. But since the titles Nazarene and Nazarite have no relation, this seems to actually serve as a contrast between the two. Jesus was called a Nazarene simply because his hometown was Nazareth. As with John, the prophet Samuel was also dedicated as a Nazarite by his mother Hannah even before his birth. Nevertheless, the most famous or perhaps infamous Nazarite in the Bible by far was Samson. But this fame is probably more due to the fact that he was also by far the greatest failure since he lacked discretion and thus ended up violating all three of the requirements. Later, in the book of Acts, we learn from Luke that the Apostle Paul had also been under such a vow and had even assumed the heavy expense of purifying four other men that had such vows on them. While no other Nazarites are mentioned specifically by name in the Bible, we do know that there were many. The prophet Amos, for example, criticized northern Israel for perverting the Nazarites with wine. And the Jewish-Roman historian Josephus mentions a large number of Nazarites sponsored by Herod Agrippa I. Now, even though the Bible doesn't mention a whole lot of Nazarites by name, we do know that there were a lot of men and women who took the vow. And I think this principle of separation to God is still really important today. Now, while it might not involve the growing out of our hair or coming near a dead body, the point is, is that we should really learn to dedicate ourselves to God. Sometimes that means that for a time we remove all distractions so that we can spend uninterrupted time with God. Because the more time you spend with God, the closer you'll get with Him, and the closer He will get with you. I think that's important. He's as close as the mention of His name. Very good, Ryan. Janice? And that relationship that Ryan is talking about was something that we don't see here uh, with the Israelites um, coming up against their enemy, the Philistines, and they go and they fight against them. And we see in verse 2 of chapter 4 of 1 Samuel that the Israel the Israelite army was defeated by the Philistines and they're trying to figure out why and they think oh okay you know what maybe we need to go to Shiloh and get the ark of God and bring that here and they didn't even understand what that meant it was more it seems here like oh, and Rod referred you referred to it in your teaching as a good luck charm that that if they brought that with them then it would be that that item uh, that would help them to win the war and they bring it with great shouting and everything else and we see that the Philistine army is wondering what is causing all of this ruckus and somebody sees that they're bringing the ark of God and it was almost as though the Philistines had more of a respect for the God they called it the gods of the Israelites because they had witnessed the power of God through the army of Israel many times before so today I just want to talk about the presence of God, how that it is very important for those of us who believe and follow after the Lord Jesus that we put our trust and our hope in Him alone. It's very easy to become distracted and put our worship on things 
or other people, and it might even seem good, and it might even seem to get good results, but it's always leading us down a wrong path. We have the presence of God promised to us when we fully give our hearts to the Lord Jesus. When we do that and we are serving him through obedience to his word, which means we are following him, his Holy Spirit presence is within us wherever we go. And with that comes a great responsibility of how we react and respond. And so that's why we have this program. One of the many reasons is because we need to know that word of God, not just to know it in our head, but to get it in our hearts so that when we are in battles, when we are in difficult situations, we can call upon the Lord and we know his voice and that we know his presence is with us. We understand and we hear his voice. We must know God's voice is my last point here. We know his word and actively participate in our relationship with him. It's only then that we will have any kind of success, not only earthly success, but more importantly, eternal success. And that is in winning the spiritual battles that we have. You know, we don't go into war like we see demonstrated in the Old Testament. Our battles here on this side of the cross, the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, is one of a spiritual battle. You can go to Ephesians chapter 6, if you've never read through the Bible, and see how Paul talks about the armor of God in a spiritual way, that armor that we can put on every day to help us. But one of the key important things there is also prayer. And prayer is our communication with our God, a living God who desires that relationship with us. So it's really important that we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ keep that relationship up. Keep our knowledge in the Word, but not just knowledge. Our actions must follow what's in the Word of God. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is our, the presence of the Lord. My subtitle was, Our Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and His Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we offer a time of prayer and showing and teaching and praying together. I invite you to join us 3.30, that's Eastern time or New York time in the United States of America. And we have people from all over the world. But today at the end of the program, we need to pray. Let's pray this way. Lord, Father, I must do things your way so people can see you in my life today. Help me, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.